We carry throughout our lives experiences, events, or accidents that change us as individuals in significant ways. Welcome to First Time Talks, a weekly podcast hosted by Luis Miron about first-time experiences. He'll have conversations with guests about life events and how they shape them. Maybe it's the first time they were bullied, rejected by an employer, or the loss of a loved one. We hope you can relate to these experiences and know you are not alone when dealing with the situations that will be discussed. In media, there's an image to uphold. Some may hide themselves and who they are behind a platform. There's a stigma behind sexual orientation and someone's identity. In today's episode, Luis had a first-time talk with Eder Diaz, an openly gay producer, podcaster, and professor at Cal State Northridge. They talked about how he came up with the idea of his podcast, De Pueblo Católico y Gay, how he grew up, and his experience coming out to his dad. Eder also mentions stigmas and traditions in religious and Hispanic communities, and how the media has portrayed the LGBTQ plus community. Lastly, he gives advice to those who are lost or don't know what the next step is. Hi, Heather. How are you today? Good, Luis. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have such a special guest on the show today. No, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, let's start off with um, who Eder is. Tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you're up to nowadays. Yeah, Eder is a journalist, um, former radio show host and producer, but currently I am a part-time lecturer at Cal State Northridge, where I'm also working on my graduate degree. It's a master's in mass communications. What made you want to pursue uh, your master's? I wanted to get my master's degree because eventually I want to teach. I wanted to, since I was a little kid, I've had incredible teachers and professors that I think when I look back on my life, they they redirected me. And I feel like I've had incredible opportunities and I've had incredible incredible experiences. And it's because of those key people that I've met throughout my educational career. So I always thought of going back eventually and becoming a professor or a teacher and being that for somebody else. And so, you know, to teach at the university level or the college level, it, it was a necessary step to go into graduate school. So you're you used to work on radio, right? But you're also a podcaster. You want to tell me a little bit about your podcast? Yeah, um, I am also a podcaster. That's something that I love right now and that I'm really proud of. I after I took a little break from radio in 2018, and you know I was just sitting around, and I really wanted to talk about what it is for me through my experience to be a Latino Latinx openly gay man. And at the time, I thought of telling my story as a man in radio, because in radio at the time I was closeted. I felt like I couldn't disclose my sexuality because I felt like maybe the audience wouldn't accept me. And so I really wanted to talk about that. And there wasn't a lot of people telling their stories in Spanish. And so I remember one day I just grabbed the mic and I started recording and I put the audio up on, you know, to the internet to hear. And it became a beautiful project and a beautiful podcast that I'm really proud of where, you know, more than 85 people, I think, to date have told their stories and, you know, counting. <laughs> so why, why did you decide to do it in Spanish instead of English? Yeah, I just felt like there's not a lot of content available in Spanish. There's a lot of people doing it in English. There's a lot of people doing it in Spanglish. Um, you know, there's a lot of representation in those spaces. And, and language is a, it's an important barrier when you talk about the Latinx experience, especially here in the U.S. And I look at my household as an example because my parents, I have a mom who is fluent in Spanish and English, and I have a dad who's only fluent in Spanish. And 
you know, my, me and my brothers of similar age are fluent in English and Spanish, but I have younger siblings that are only fluent in English and they don't speak Spanish. So I, I, I can see it even in my household, how language is such an important sometimes connector and sometimes it's a very important divide. And so I want this content to be available, you know, to my tios and my tias and my abuelita and just everybody that I feel like doesn't usually have access to these conversations. And because of cultural reasons or because of traditional reasons, whatever you want it to be, there's a lot of conversations that are many times not had in some of these Spanish-speaking households. And I want my podcast to be available for them as a, hopefully as a starting point. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, not by, this is my personal experience, but not a lot of my family, you know, that, that speaks Spanish, they're not very used to podcasts. They don't even know what a podcast is. Did you have that, like, experience with your family? Yeah. In fact, you know, before I launched the podcast, this one, I had already launched a couple with my previous employer. Like I told you, in 2018, I took a break from radio, but I, I was previously employed by Univision Radio. And I did a couple of projects with them that really never took off. And that was like my first experience in podcasting. And because of those projects, Univision offered me the opportunity to lead their national podcast initiative um out of new york and i didn't take the job but i remember when i was going through the conversations and the interview process i started to see a lot of data that they had they had already done a lot of research and one of the first things that they found was that they before they could launch podcasts nationwide that they first had to teach the audience what a podcast was because based on their surveys they found out that spanish speakers and consumers for the majority or the majority of them didn't know what a podcast was, where to find it, etc. Whereas surveys of English speakers and Latinx English speakers found that they were already highly consuming podcasts and they were very familiar with the with the with the format and consuming it in probably in higher numbers than traditional media like television or radio. So, you know, they had already found that out and I definitely saw it around people that were around me, you know, friends that I had that spoke English were recommending podcasts to each other and friends that I had that only spoke Spanish really didn't know what it was or how to pronounce it or or they didn't understand the concept. But, you know, I still thought that I've always been a believer as a content producer that the content supersedes the media. And so if you're doing great content, People are going to adapt to whatever medium you're presenting it in. You know, you just have to have good content. Um, and, you know, I'm not saying that my podcast is <laughs> the biggest thing ever, but it created a really solid audience, despite the fact that it's only in Spanish and, and, and the majority of the content is in Spanish. Yeah, I mean... It's it's all about just creating an audience, right? I think that's like the biggest thing. Uh, I mean, content is number one, and then having a a solid audience, right, is the next. Uh, let let me ask you, why do you think um, people in the like Latin community um, don't really have these conversations about sexuality and things like that? And why do you think they will listen to a podcast about that? So th this is my personal theory. Right. I don't have any groundbreaking research backing me up other than the fact that I've been doing this podcast for two years and I've had a lot of conversations with people on my podcast. And this is these are my conclusions. I think one religion is one of the biggest blockers when it comes to discussing sexuality in our in our homes. And it's not it doesn't mean it happens in every household. It doesn't mean you know, that there are religious households who don't do it. It just means that generally, you know, the majority of people that have had sort of this quote-unquote censorship at home 
they probably also are very religious. They probably are also very traditional. And I found that my title is, um, you know, when it, De Pueblo Católico y Gay, that's the title of the podcast, which translates to From a Small Town, Catholic, and Gay, really speaks to that because, you know, I grew up in a really traditional small town. It was in Western culture the way we know it here in L.A. It was a very different society and the societal norms that you're taught are very different. You know, things like, you know, the woman has to serve the plate to the man. You know, very defined male-female binary roles that are supported in these small towns by the church and the church teachings, you know, and the church, I mean, and those are just very, very specific examples, but it applies to so many dimensions of the daily life. And I think that these conversations, it's not just because I'm gay that I didn't have these conversations. It's just because I, I was there in that small town as a Catholic man, because one of the questions that I started asking this year to people that are on my podcast is, did you even, did you ever have a, a conversation about sex with your parents? And the answer is no. And I think, and I think that's important because that's like, even if you're straight, that's like, sounds like a very awkward conversation. Exactly. And so people would say no, or they would say, oh yeah, but it was very like over the top. You know, like my, my, my dad or my mom just came to me and they're like, do you know what sex is? And they said, yes. And they were like, okay, good. You know? <laughs> so exactly. It's so, and I think that that's religion imposing just so much sort of shame into sex. Right. And to, and to having these conversations openly. And I think that that's the first part of it. And the second part of your question, which was, why do they listen to these conversations on the podcast? I think that because they're so uncomfortable, these conversations and these topics, and that think about the podcast experience, you're listening to it individually, most of the time on your headphones. So it's a very, very private way to connect with these conversations. You don't have to carry a book around with a title that exposes you. I remember when I was a kid and I would buy pornographic magazines and I would have to like hide them somewhere. Um, because if, if they find them, people already know what you're consuming, right? Or or I would stay up late to watch the, the raunchy HBO movies. Because if somebody walks by, they're gonna see what you're what you're watching, you know? So you have to like isolate yourself. But the podcast experience does that for you by nature. You know, you don't have to be blasting it in your living room or in your bedroom. You can just pop in your headphones and have a very personal experience with the content. It provides isolation in its nature. And here in L.A., for example, most of us drive in our car by ourselves anyway. So if you're listening to the podcast um, on your commute, it's still a very individual experience. And I think that that's why these conversations, I mean, I don't think I would be able to do this anywhere else other than the podcast. Yeah, because because of all the, um, I wouldn't say like people are afraid to talk. They're just like not comfortable, right? It's not even that. Exactly. I'm scared. It's just like I'm just uncomfortable. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to talk about it. And I'd rather just avoid it. Exactly. And it's baby steps. <laughs> yeah, baby steps. Exactly. And, you know, I think, you know, from a personal perspective, you know, like I, I listen to your podcast, you know, and... You know, I'm a straight man, but there's a there's a lot of like experiences and like stories that you listen to and you can relate to them, you know. Like um I think one of my favorite one was about the what was his name? He had like a lot of like drug addictions and Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We're talking about um Rene. He was from Cancun. He grew up in Merida, but then he, most of his life he lived in Cancun. He was a uh yeah, I, re I remember his story. And and that story to me, like, you know, like, I listened to it and, you know, like, and, and it's funny because, like, I have my headphones on, I was listening to it and everything. But how everything that he went through, you know, like, and it all had to do with his dad, how it came back to his dad, right? Like, the love that he never had from his dad or something like that. And I was just like, it just makes sense, you know, like, 
these stories, even though if you have a different sexuality, like you can still relate to them. Yeah. I think that, you know, that's the thing about storytelling. And I'm such a passionate storyteller because of that, because, you know, stories are universal. You don't have to be, uh, like you said, you don't have to be a gay man to understand it. You don't even have to be, you know, most of the people that listen to the podcast are not gay men. You know, sometimes they're, they're women who identify as lesbian or bisexual. There are individuals that identify as um, gender nonconforming. Um, and so, and the, I get a lot of messages from straight women who are single moms or they've, they've been divorced and they identify with the podcast at a very personal level because they go through a very similar shameful experience in their, their families, you know, when they have a child out of wedlock as the gay man. Well, they tell me these things. I, I, I wouldn't know from personal experience, but I know from their messages that they, they feel the same shame and they feel the same sort of exclusion from society because they had a child out of wedlock or because they're single moms, you know, because the church looks down on them as well. Yeah. And I also think like that's, that's very true. And also like women also have to deal with like, if you are a strong independent woman, you know, like probably in your thirties and you're very successful, like let's say with your job and everything, but you don't have kids, your family looks at you like, what's wrong with you? You're what you have kids. Like, why aren't you married and things like that, right? And I feel like that always brings a lot of stress to, like, women, you know, because, like, oh, I need to be married. I need to, like, we are so used to these, like, old uh, ways, but the the world is changing, you know, and everyone's beliefs are changing. So I think that's why it's important to tell these stories, right? Yeah, and it's just, I feel like it's the same experience, for example, for a young woman whose parents are are devout Catholics and they come from a really small town in Mexico. So they have this, this set way of looking at the world. Right. But then they come to the U S and they raise their kids here. And then their their young girls start to see the world very differently, you know, because they're going, they're growing up in a very different society that empowers them in a very different way. And it's what I was talking to you about earlier, how sometimes there could be like a very big cultural divide from parent to child through this um, experience of immigration that I've experienced as a gay man, you know, because I come from a small town. My parents were raising me with the mentality of a small town. But as a gay man, then I come to LA and, you know, I have access to this completely different culture and world where I can go to West Hollywood and express myself, where I can go to lat Latino gay clubs and, and meet people and, and live my, my life openly and the laws aren't aren't you know for the most part at least now um you know they don't criminalize me and so i have a very different mentality now from what and my parents still think no like there's all these dangers to being gay you shouldn't tell people because you know they they're still in a very different mentality and that's why these conversations are very important because when there starts to become a gap in experiences, communication is the only way that are going to keep us connected. And it's just sitting down and telling them whether you're a young woman, you know, trying to move out of your parents' house, or whether you're a gay man like me trying to have a relationship and, and include your family in it. You just have to sit down and tell them it's okay. You know, this is what it is. This is what my life looks like. And I understand that you're afraid of certain things because of the way that you live. But you have to understand that I'm not growing up in that world anymore. And, and it's also okay for me to listen to my dad and to my mom and understand why they think the way they think. But it's only through conversation that this happens. Yeah, and I, and I think that's important, right? You need to like just sit down and talk. And I feel like sometimes that's what the problem is. Like there's not talk there's no conversations you know um the way you expressed it you know it's like there is a big cultural divide so like for you who was it the hardest like when you when you knew who who you were like who other was you know your sexuality and um who was it the hardest to talk to 
my dad. I was terrified of my dad. Growing up, he was my hero. And I would hear homophobic things from him. I would hear him express himself very violently and very negatively towards um, other openly gay men that we knew about. And so, you know, I was terrified. And when I finally realized this is not, I'm not going to change. This is who I am. And I can't avoid it anymore. You know, as you start to grow up uh, and you're, you become a young adult and and you've been sort of um, trying to hide this, this very natural part of you, you know, it, it just becomes like a, like a ticking bomb, you know? And so there was a moment in time when I just knew I'm not going to be able to hide this anymore. I want to live my life. I want to, you know, be with men and, and experience all this, all this side of me. So it just became unavoidable. I knew that my dad was the first person I needed to tell because that's who I was most terrified of, his reaction and his disapproval. So it was just a nightmare. It was a nightmare. It was. It, it took a it took a toll on my physical and mental health. Um, you know, just even imagining what that conversation would go would go like, and I just remember um, at the time my dad was going through a divorce from my mom. My parents were going through a divorce, and my dad started dating somebody without telling us. And so one day, I think it was around the holidays, around December, he had an envelope in his back pocket, and he was walking around the house, and one of my younger brothers just. You know, we're very we're very close to both of my parents regardless, right? Regardless of what I was telling you about my sexuality. Other than that, we were just really close to them. Um, so I remember my brother just pulled the envelope from his pocket and just opened it. And he was like, what is this? You know, in a very playful, innocent way. And my dad just froze. And my dad was not that kind of man. Like, I could grab my dad's wallet right now and just walk out of the house and he wouldn't care. So seeing my dad afraid of us Grabbing something from him was the first, you know? How old were you guys? I was already 20, 21. Okay. Yeah, so it was, I was older. And my my brother who took the envelope, he is three years younger than me. So I, he started reading the, the envelope, and he just had this face of shock. And it was a love letter from his new girlfriend. Oh, wow. Yeah, and but at this point in in their relationship, they were very far along. Like it wasn't just a casual, we're dating. It was a we're almost engaged sort of situation. And so my dad had to sit down and talk to us about the whole thing. And as he's telling us, you know, about this very serious relationship that he's in, were you guys still living with mom now? Like your mom, your dad, and you guys? No, by this. By this time, they were separated, and the divorce was already, all, I think it was finalized. Okay. Um, yeah. And so we knew that they were separated. We just didn't know that they were dating already, or that he was dating already. Um, and and the divorce was a re- it was hard for us, you know, because we come from a background where people just don't get divorced. It's not a thing. I, I, I mean, I don't remember anybody else growing up that was close to me that got a divorce. Um, you know, people that are devout Catholic marry for life. And that's what I was taught. Did they get married in the church? Yeah. 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 It was a, I mean, it was a traditional marriage, uh, for the most part. And so it took a toll on us, you know, I, I, I definitely felt shaken myself by it. And it was just dealing with that. I wasn't prepared to deal with my dad dating somebody else again. So it was a tough conversation and it was a tough conversation for him. And I understand why he kept his girlfriend from us. But as he's wrapping up the conversation, I remember he said something. He said, in Spanish, he said, no cabe duda que siempre hay que hablar con la verdad, porque si uno habla con la mentira tarde o temprano, you know, la gente se va a dar cuenta, which translates to, you have to always be true um, and, and you have to live with the truth. Because if you try to lie, sooner or later, the truth is going to come out. And as he's saying that, I'm just sitting there like, oh, shit. <laughs> you know, he's right. He's he's right. And so that's the day that I decided I need to figure out how to tell my dad that I'm gay. 
because I don't want him to find out, you know, in in a way that will hurt him more. You're like you you're not telling him, right? And like he has a picture or something like that. Yeah, like somebody comes and tells him, "Oh, sabes que tu hijo es gay" or whatever, you know. Like I wanted to sit him down and I wanted to tell him and answer his questions and and that's what I, you know, decided at that moment. And so it took a lot of planning <laughs> and I was very nervous and I was very just afraid of what was going to happen, but I was very lucky to have an incredible conversation with him. I decided to tell him on a road trip to Tijuana and I decided this because I thought he has nowhere to go. You know, he's not going to run out of the car. And it's like a two, three hour drive with traffic from where we lived at the time in uh, Corona, California to Tijuana. Actually, we went to Mexicali. I don't know why I always say Tijuana, but the truth is we went to Mexicali, which is a very, it's probably a three to four hour drive. Um, it's on the other side of Banning, California. No, not Banning. What's the, what's the town? Anyway, that's not the point. Wait, so, so from your, when your dad said that sentence to that road trip, how long was that? Like, how long did the planning and... I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe two to three months. Okay. Yeah. And so I remember I told my brothers, hey, I'm going to go talk to my dad. I want to have a conversation with my dad. So I'm going to invite him to, to Mexicali. And... Uh, being his usual self, he's probably going to invite everybody. Um, but just try to be busy and, tr you know, don't go because I want to go by myself. And everybody was like, yeah, sure, whatever. They didn't think anything of it. So, yeah, you know, we the day came, we got in the car. And as soon as we got on the freeway, I was driving. I remember I just turned off the radio. And I told my dad, I need to talk to you. And he was like, yeah, what's up? And I just freaked out and I just started crying. I probably had like a little panic attack. Um, and he started to get really worried. He's like, what the hell is going on? And, and, he, and then he started to guess. He's like, are you sick? Are you, you know, what happened? What did you do? And I was like, no, it's not, a, not you know, I'm not sick and I'm not in trouble. And then I, I kept thinking in my head, well, not yet. <laughs> And I just kept thinking, how do I tell him now that it's like, at this point, it was like, even if I wanted to avoid it, I couldn't because he was already so concerned. Like we were deep in this moment. And I, but I couldn't say it. It took forever for me to find the words to tell him. And when I finally did, um, I remember I said, you know, I asked him, do you know what a homosexual is? And he said, yeah. And I said, what is it? And he, so he told me, and he's like, well, you know, to me, the way I understand it, it's, you know, a person that wants and is attracted to the same sex and, you know, falls in love with somebody and they build a family. And then I just said, well, I'm a homosexual. And I remember he took a long pause. I mean, who knows? At that, at that moment, time was, I didn't know what time was. It could have been seconds. It could have been a half hour. I said, for you, it felt like a long pause. Oh, yeah. I mean, it felt like eternity, but it could have been just like a microsecond. I don't know. And he um, he was playing with his flip phone. He had a flip phone at the time. So he kept closing it and opening it and closing it and opening it. And then he just said, don't say that. And I thought, how do I say, like, I'm just kidding? Or how do I say, like, ah, you're punked or pranked or, you know, there was a show at the time called Punked. <laughs> and I just kept thinking, how do I take it back? But another part of me was like, no, like you already said it. You never thought you were going to be at this moment. So like the hardest part of it, in a way. Yeah. And, and then we just had one of the best conversations I'm ever going to have with him. I think a very real, very honest conversation. He, he asked me a lot of things that were very uncomfortable. I answered every one of his questions. A lot of the questions that he asked me maybe were problematic, but they come from a place of real, real sort of, I don't understand this, you know, so help me understand it. You know, questions like, does this mean you're going to start wearing heels? You know, does this mean you were abused? 
when you were a kid sexually abused? You know, very th things that I'm, I'm sure he wonders and I'm sure a lot of other parents wonder. Um, and I just answered all of them to the best of my ability at the time. Um, he even asked me if I had ever been with a girl sexually. And when I said no, he said, well, then how do you know you're gay? And I remember I told him, well, have you ever been with a guy? <laughs> he said, no. And I said, well, how do you know you're not gay? <laughs> yeah. So, but, but, it, but that also tells you how comfortable I was at that moment, you know? And it was just, it wasn't a hostile conversation. It was a real honest conversation with real sort of like love behind it. And, you know, I remember the drive was so short and I just wanted to keep talking to him about it because I also had a lot of questions, you know, up until that moment, other than some porn on the internet and, and some chat groups on the internet, I had never even met another gay person. You know, and I, I hadn't had this conversation out loud. So I, I myself had a lot of questions and I myself had a lot of things I wanted to get out of my chest. And so, yeah, it was, it was a beautiful moment. And, you know, my dad is not a very expressive person. He's not like one to say, he won't even say I love you to us. It's a thing we tease him about. Um, we all tell him I love you and he always responds with something like very different and very generic. <laughs> but he, at that moment, he showed me his affection in so many ways. You know, he gave me advice. He told me he was always going to be there for me. He told me not to be afraid. He told me not to be, not to use this as an excuse to kind of give up on my life, you know. He was just very wise and very comforting. But then I remember when we got to where we were going, we were visiting one of his uh, first cousins. I remember thinking, oh, shit, you know, wh what happens now? Like, it's all out there. We we've had this incredible moment. So what happens now? And I remember we went to have dinner with him and he just kind of as we were having dinner, he just put his arm around me. And then I remember thinking, OK. It's going to be OK. You know? We don't need to say anything else. We don't need to kind of revisit the whole thing. Like it's just gonna be okay. So you knew so you knew that you had a support. Yeah. At that moment I was like, it's it doesn't matter. It's just it's it's okay. I have nothing to worry about. And then after that, like, was it easier to talk to like the rest of your family and let them know? Yeah. I think once I had his validation, I just felt inv invincible. And so I very comfortably told my brothers after that, my, my siblings, and, you know, they were all very supportive. I never really was even afraid of them. I think I knew they were going to be supportive. I think the next person that I was sort of afraid of telling was my mom, but even her, it was very different. I just felt so close to her in a way. I felt like, like I have nothing to worry about with her, you know, even though I was, there was another part of me that was still afraid. There was another part of me that was like, you're going to be okay with her. Um, she was the last person in my immediate family that I told. And it was, it was also a very similar, very beautiful conversation. At the time, for other reasons, I was estranged from her. But she, obviously she was still somebody very important to me. And, and I wanted to tell her as well. That was... She was the last person that I was like, okay, I, need, I want to tell them. And then everybody else, I don't care how they found out, find out. And she was very supportive. And, and then I was out. What about, what about like your, the rest of your family? Like your uncles, like your tias, you know, like, how was that like? Like, like something that you had a conversation with them or like, or did it just came up or? No, it was very easy because because of the divorce, a lot of them just kind of like distanced themselves from the family. So I didn't have that constant communication with them like I had had growing up. So I didn't feel the need to talk to them anyway because we were just not talking. <laughs> um, I think most of them found out, you know, through through rumors and and through people telling people. Um, 
So I never really had a conversation with anybody else about it. I think they just they just know. And I mean, I don't know if they for sure know, and I don't care. <laughs> for you, your biggest concern was like your immediate family. Mm-hmm. One hundred percent. When was the first time that you knew that you were not into girls, that you that you like men? And what was that like? I've known since I was a little kid. And obviously it wasn't sexual then, but I just knew. I just remember I remember my first memories, you know, as a young kid in kindergarten or playing in the street with my friends. I remember feeling uh, uh, something special for boys, something different, something like a, like a deeper connection. Like I just want to be around them. I wanted to hug them, you know. And there was a little girl when I was a kid that I used to say that we were going to get married. And, you know, this happens a lot. I see it a lot in, like, my family. Where, ay, son novios, los niños, los, el niño y la niña. You know, de un día se van a casar. Um... So there was this girl that was my age at the time that would always be like, oh, yo me voy a casar con Eddie. She's also my first cousin. <laughs> um, and so everybody would play with that. And I just remember thinking inside of me, like, that's not going to happen. Like, that's not going to happen. And as I started to, you know, grow older, I, I knew. And I knew that it was bad. I knew that what I was feeling inside of me was looked down upon. So I started feeling a lot of shame and I started feeling a lot of self-rejection. I would pray every night for it to go away and it wouldn't. Um, I'd still kept feeling it the next day. I would go to school and I would have crushes on the boys. Um, but, but I also very, very early on learned how to hide it. And I learned how to behave like my like my cousins, how to speak like them. So I would talk to girls and I would hit on them and I would catcall on them. You know, I would do everything everybody else did so that I could fly under the radar. So I think, I think growing up, a lot of people didn't know what I was going through and what I was feeling and what I was, what naturally I was attracted to because I had to hide it. Um... I remember one of my best friends in junior high, a secundaria allá en México, they call it. Um, he was like the most handsome kid in school. Uh, they they were known to be handsome, him and his sisters. He had two sisters. I've never shared this story, by the way. And his two sisters would win pa beauty pageants. Oh, wow. Yeah, like they, they were known to be like the it girls, you know? I think one of them went on to become um, Senorita Jalisco. Like, she represented the state. Oh, wow. But I'm not sure about that. I don't, I don't know if I just remember like that or if it actually happened. But they were they were it, the it girls. And he, obviously, was the it boy. So you ran in the family. It, it was, everybody had good genes. <laughs> and, and me and him were very close. Very close. He was a big, uh, uh, a really good soccer player, too. Um, and we were really close and we would do homework in his house after school and we would play soccer together and, and I was in love with him, literally in love with him. You know, the kind of puppy love, obviously that you have when you're at that age, but, but I was crazy about him. And to this day, I think about it and I think, did he not know? <laughs> like, how could I hide that? You know, because I was crazy about him, the kind of crazy where like, You see him and you get nervous and, you know, the type of stuff you see in the movie. Never, like, bring it up to, to, to you? No, no. Because, you know, because I knew he wasn't gay. I knew based on the conversations that we would have and, you know, the girlfriends that he had that he was not gay. But, you know, so I played the I I played the, the, the role that I needed to play to be close to him. So I pretended to be into girls myself. We would go out with girls and you know we would play soccer and I would never bring it up because I knew that if I did I wouldn't have this friendship with him you know but even like I think two years ago I went back to my hometown and I hadn't seen him in years and he turns out to now be a co-worker of one of my younger cousins and so we went to this uh this little get-together at my cousin's house 
and he was there and I was like holy shit I haven't seen you in years and and we caught up and you know just had a great time I met his children I met his wife and as we're talking and he's obviously so embracing of me and and happy to see me I kept thinking does he not know to this day like hasn't it clicked does he not he has to know that I'm open now and that I'm gay and that you know and he probably remembers things now and he's like holy shit <laughs> like you know yeah, he's like looking back at it yeah like we would hang out all the time what the hell but no i mean i obviously didn't ask him because i was terrified of him saying something but i just kept wondering um but yeah that's that's how i lived my life it was just a very quiet life and it was very individual very silent and i think that a lot of people that grow up like me especially people that don't have anywhere else to go and whose lives develop in the small town that they were born in. I think they go through a very similar process of living their life in silence, you know? And I think that that's why this project is so important to me because it hopefully creates an, an outlet and a community for people who haven't yet had these conversations in, in out loud and who haven't yet found somebody, someone that they can talk to about what they feel, what they like, what they go through, you know? But I always knew. Yeah. And I mean, if you could tell someone listening to this podcast or your podcast that is struggling to come out and to express themselves, what is something that you tell them? This is the honest truth. I think a lot of the media, like movies, television, they tend to romanticize the experience, the coming out process. You know, there's a huge campaign that says it, get, it gets better. This is what I tell people from my point of view and from where I'm at and the, from the stories I've heard and I've told through my podcast is some people have a legitimate reason to be afraid. And some people, it won't get better for them. You know, some people face real violence real harassment and it won't get better for everybody so if you're not ready if you are listening to me and you think oh I want to I want to have what he has and I want to be where he's at you know just make sure that you feel safe first that's the most important thing and if you don't feel safe it's okay if you don't come out if you don't feel um, like you're going to be accepted, it's okay if you hide and if you don't share, it's okay. Because some people face real, real violence. Um, and in some places of the world, it's still even illegal to be gay. It, it's criminalized. So that's the first thing that I want to say is make sure that whenever you take a step that you feel safe and that nobody pressures you to do something you're not ready to do. But when you do, when you feel safe and when you feel ready, um, I'm here for you. And there's a lot of people that are here for you that know exactly what it's like and that, you know, we can build a community together in our in my my circles of friends and you know the, around the people that I hang out with, we always talk about this concept called the chosen family because sometimes your family will not be there for you. It's a very real thing. Whether you're a gay man, whether you're a young woman um, you know who wants to live differently or whether you're a straight man who made a mistake, you know to the to the point of view of the, your family or the church or whatever, you know? There's, um, sometimes your family won't be your support system. So there's a, there's a family that you can choose that's a beautiful community that will be there for you and that will help you navigate the process when you're ready. Um, you just have to kind of reach out. And I hope that my podcast is there for everybody and that everybody knows that there's a community there and that every anybody who wants to reach out to me um can i've had therapists that have been on the podcasts um and you know now they've created a little network of of queer support um 
there's people that have been diagnosed with HIV that I've connected to other people who listen to the podcast and have resources to either information, medicine, whatever it can be. Um, and they've connected with each other. It, it's been a very beautiful experience, you know, parents who have reached out to me who didn't know how to navigate their parent, their child's coming out. And, you know, we connected them to, to support groups and to therapists and that's what we do for each other. So when you're ready, whether it's me or somebody else, reach out because there's people that are willing to help. Yeah. And I think that's like the biggest message that I want to like give to the listeners. It's like, even whatever the topic it is, like is, you know, like you're not alone. Yeah. There's always going to be someone there to support you. And sometimes it's the people that you least expected. Yeah. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And then for my last question, I said and like that I like to ask is if you could describe your whole journey um, with one word, what would it be and why? Yeah, that's such a good question. I don't know. And I'm talking about like, like you know, like from the moment you knew to talking to your dad to you now. Like, you know, I, I this is a new word that I've learned, but I, I'll use it. And I'll, that's what I do consider myself privileged. I think my whole experience has been very privileged and I try to not take that for granted because even when I was a kid, I was a very happy kid. You know, there was a part of me that was tormented, but the other part was a very happy kid. And I have incredible parents who would always just tell me, we just want you to be happy. I don't care what you do with your life, just as long as you're happy. And, you know, I had a beautiful life in, in Mexico that taught me so many beautiful things about how to see life and how to appreciate life. But I also had access to a life here in the U.S. that allowed me to kind of sort of feel like, oh, there's a couple of things that I don't like about where I come from. So I'm just going to leave that behind and I'm going to take this new uh, concept that I like. Um, it gave me, I have privileged to have an education that allows me to, you know, be able to do stressful jobs, but very different jobs, you know, from the jobs that my parents do that are very heavy, physical, intense. Um, I'm very privileged to now be able to have their support and, and, and be empowered to the point that I'm able to create this platform, something that I never thought in a million years I would do. Um, I've also been very privileged to have an incredible career in radio that gave me unforgettable moments. Um, I'm just a very privileged person and I don't take it for granted. I enjoy it, but I also try to do my best to help other people have the same privileges that I enjoy. Um, I remember I wrote this once on a blog that I used to have. I wish everybody would be able to have one of their dreams come true. Every single person, because it's an incredible thing. And I've been so blessed and privileged to be able to have so many of my dreams come true. And I know what that feels like. And I just want everybody else to know what that feels like as well. And, you know, I know you like, I know you for, I'm mean, recently, I know you, you know, when we met at school, through prof and everything, but that's, you know, you, you say you're a very privileged person, but at least I can say that you're not selfish because you do share like, your knowledge, you're more than willing to help. Um, so to me hearing that, it means a lot because it is so true. That is really who you are. Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. It means a lot. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was listening to it and I was like, yeah, Edit is always there. Like whenever I have a question, I know whenever a classmate has questions, you're always there to help us. I try my best, but it's like I was telling you earlier. It's based on that. You know, there's, I think that, I've been able to live the life that I've lived because people have been there for me, including Profe Benavides, who you were talking about, who is, you know, one of my biggest mentors and a person that when I was failing as an undergrad student, I was failing so many classes because I was coming out and because my parents were going through a divorce and I was in danger of going on probation. Um, is that what they call it? What do they call it when you... 
Yeah, it's called probation. Academic probation, right? Yeah. And I remember he he pulled me to the side and he was like, what the hell are you doing? You're a smart kid. Why aren't you doing your work? And I remember I opened up to him about what I was going through. And he's the one that told me, look, if you need to take a semester off, take a semester off. Do what you need to do to take care of yourself. But you're better than this, you know? And you need to do whatever you need to do to, to rise up to your potential. And nobody else cared. Everybody else was letting me fail. Everybody else was letting me do mediocre work. And he's the one that took the time to, to sort of make me believe in myself. And everything changed because of him. Everything that I've been able to do as a professional, as a journalist, as an academic person, it's because of him. And so if I can be that to somebody else, it would be my honor because it, I know the impact that it can have. Yeah, because your experience is firsthand. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And to this day, he helps me on everything. He guides me. He, Whenever I have questions or issues, I go to him. And, you know, everything that I've been able to do, I think it's because he he believes in me and he pushes me to be the best. And now at this point, I'm like, I can't let him down. <laughs> There's that pressure of like, he believes in me and I need to believe in myself and I need to deliver. Yeah, 100%. Anything else, Heather, that you would like to say? I'll just say, I'll remind everybody that I don't know everything about life. You know, I make mistakes. There's things that I still need to learn, and there's a lot of things that I still need to unlearn. So everything that I say, sometimes I generalize a lot, but it's just based on my experience. And my story is not everybody's story, nor is my experience. So, um, you know, I'll continue to do the work in myself, and I hope everybody else is able to do work on themselves as well. But yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this and and, and you're part of the queer community, just make sure that you're safe before anything else happens. That's the first and most important thing, that you're safe, that you're healthy, and everything else follows. Thank you for listening to First Time Talks. Don't forget to follow us at First Time Talks on Instagram, like us on Facebook to be notified and get sneak peeks on upcoming episodes. Till next time, first timers.